All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. <laughs> I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel Labana. And I'm David Uyoa, back after an extended hiatus. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was, uh, we, we we canceled last episode, last minute. Uh, very sorry to all our dedicated fans for, uh, <laughs> that was supposed to be sarcastic, <laughs> um, uh, about that. And then uh, I couldn't make it the week before where you and Hunger took a look yes. at Pilgrim. So and, much fun um, with Pilgrim. God, yeah, so much fun. yeah. Um, that episode's out now. I haven't listened to it yet because I want to watch the movie. Yes. And I, I hadn't had a chance to watch the movie. So um, I know Thanksgiving is over. We're on to Christmas. But I, I feel like it's time for, for me to, you know, it's still okay. Like, it's within that window. Yeah, you're in the window. You're in the window. Right? Um, but speaking of Christmas, it is Christmas time. And that means holiday horror. It's yes, 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 yes. From the 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 amazing run that we can have through October. Grab one Thanksgiving movie because there's not a ton. We can't burn through those too fast. And then <laughs> and then and then filling up December with with holiday horror is uh, is is pretty great. Yeah. So um, we we purposely left a couple of movies off the list last year so that we would have some for this year. Right. Um, and. It's not that we're getting through all of like the the holiday movies this year, but I feel like we're hitting up a lot of the big ones between last year and this year. Yeah. So I think I, th I think we have to start being a little judicious with uh, with the ones that we pick moving forward. That's all right. Next year we're gonna the next week we're gonna throw you all for a loop anyway. So yeah, it's, it's all right. yeah. Uh, but uh, this is one that uh, I threw out last year because um, I mean y'all know me. I'm really into classic horror uh classic cinema classic anything really yeah um, just a classic guy right so um we decided let's 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 put it off and it's black christmas uh the original 1974 classic yes. um so with this movie uh as we get into uh, a little overview uh i like to call this section ho ho horror nice. um so it, it fairly certain that it kind of created the holiday horror genre i you know i i kind of said that off the cuff on our instagram but uh because i i was pretty sure but i went and did some research and yeah i think for the most part the the genre of holiday horror exists because of this movie yeah um and from here i mean it, it, it's not like it happened right away right. um because the movie was actually kind of like a sleeper for a while and it took a while for it to pick up steam but john carpenter was a big fan of this movie you can tell. and uh yes you can definitely <laughs> tell uh he, so much so that he went to bob clark which bob clark by the way like is mr fucking christmas because between this movie and a christmas story yeah i mean he pretty much helps define christmas like 
holiday television viewing. I watched this in a Christmas story on back to back nights just because it felt like the right thing to do. Dude, it is it is my double feature. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a double feature for me. It's it's two sides of the same coin, you know. It really is. Um, and and so uh, he went to him and he was like, "Hey, I like this idea of like expanding on like holiday horror. What if I did a Halloween one? Are you okay with that?" And he was like, "Okay, I don't own <laughs> holidays. I'm not go your ahead. Dad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't I don't own the idea. Go ahead and do it." Um, and Carpenter took a lot of ideas from there. The POV shot. Um, you know, the, the, the killer view, uh, the, the, the really kind of restrained use of music, um, the final girl, you know, it's, it's, it's all there, including the ambiguous ending. So, um, he didn't create any of that, by the way, because that all goes back to the giallos of, of Italy of, of the, the late sixties and the early seventies, but making it decidedly Christmas, Right. have holiday be at the center there i mean it's been called revolutionary it's been called the first slasher does the movie earn its reputation in in your eyes so th- i have seen this movie once before but it was a long time ago and i didn't i don't know if i was like in and out there a lot of stuff happened that i didn't really remember like it, this might as well have been my first viewing I, right. i'm not i can't place when i've seen it before but a lot of this stuff kind of surprised me. Did it earn its reputation? Yeah, man. This is one where you you watch this movie and it's a lot like when we did Invasion of the Body Snatchers. When you watch this movie, you see the seeds of what became so many things that are it's now tropes. tropes. Yeah. yeah. This is you watch this and you you can't say, oh, well, of course he did that. That's a trope. No, no, no. The trope is because he did that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's so yeah, I think it really did earn its reputation. It was really I really did enjoy kind of reading some of the backstory about this movie and, and it getting made and stuff like that. Uh, it was there was some really interesting stuff um uh, about just kind of how it kind of flopped when it first came out mm-hmm. a lot of people were calling it kills for kicks and they weren't they weren't a big fan of the the ambiguous ending and all this and it and now it, it's getting i don't think it was ever shit on to the point that like halloween 3 was but right. uh it, it eventually did get its resurgence and people are doing exactly what i did last night which is going back and watching it and seeing all this stuff that that was groundwork. I mean, this movie is the foundation for so many things that we consider to be the most important parts of slashers. Uh, it's 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 really interesting to see all of that, but it's also I think it's got some genuinely scary moments. Yes, it does. I, I think it's got uh, it's got some really good. Uh, it's got some really good, and I'm I'm not even going to try to claim which wave because I don't know where they all are. But it's got some really great feminist um, ideals in it, and yeah. and the idea of this very strong female lead. It's got a, and it's got Margot Kidder. So I mean, you can't go wrong with Margot Kidder ever. Exactly. So I think that the the reputation that this movie has as it's as it as it came back into the public eye and and now people are viewing it outside of its time and with a back catalog of all these other things to 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 reference as what it was the the daddy of i think that you it's undeniably deserving of its reputation i have to agree um i was late to to this party 
Um, I saw it for the first time maybe 10 years ago. And um, it, I don't know if it was Arrow. It was one of those um, like smaller um, home release companies that came right. out with some special edition of it. And um, it blew me away. Um, I was like, wow, I can't believe that. Like, I, everyone knows of Black Christmas, even right. if they've never seen it before. There's been three and, um, remakes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, and I had seen the 2009 one uh, right. around the time that it came out. Maybe I saw it in theaters and um, was thoroughly unimpressed. As you it was it, for me, it was a, a kind of paint by the numbers slasher. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never thought much of it. And maybe that kind of tainted my view of the original until I finally sat down and watched it. And it fucking blew me away. Yeah. Uh, I had already become a fan of Giallo's and I recognized right away. I was like, fuck, he's pulling from Bava and he's pulling from Argento and he's pulling from uh, from Fulci and all these guys. And um, and then I, I saw retroactively all of the influence that he would right. have on guys like Carpenter, guys like Cunningham, uh, guys like Craven. Yeah, uh, because if you look at Wes Craven's early work, you know, 1974, same year this comes out. Um, Last House on the Left is a very different movie than The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, it's a very different movie than A Nightmare on Elm Street, even. Um, you know, so you you get a, a change in Craven. You you get you get guys like Sam Raimi that are pulling from this too, and and Raimi is you know a, a more out there guy. But this idea of like the the POV cam, yes, the way that it's used um, as more than just a, uh, a a voyeuristic tactic, which it, I feel is the way it was primarily used in the Giallos, mm-hmm. um, as a way to really put you in in the killer's mind. Wow, you yeah. know, I mean, it's it's a it, and it is really terrifying. I think in times uh, there's I. I I'm rarely scared by slashers. Um, I find slashers to be a lot of fun to watch. Right. Uh, And that's part of the reason why I like slashers so much, because you can kind of just turn this off and be like, I'm just going to watch people, you know, uh, get murdered and fuck for like an hour and a half. And that's cool. Um, But when you can be genuinely scared of what's going on on screen, like Hereditary does for me. Right. um, That kind of elevates a movie. And there's something about how real Billy is yeah. as uh, as a possible killer because he is kind of based on Ted Bundy and and a couple of these guys who were were committing these murders in the late sixties and the early seventies. Um, there's supposed to be a sense of realism there, and I think there yeah. is. And and the fact like that it is just someone on the phone doing their thing right like that's terrifying yeah that's uh you know it's interesting that you mentioned ted bundy there was one thing i ran across while reading about this movie today and that is in 78 it was going to make its tv debut they were mm-hmm. going to call it a stranger in the house and it was supposed to be part of this nbc movie night thing mm-hmm. and like right before it was supposed to air uh, Ted Bundy uh, murdered those girls in the sorority house at Florida right. State. Mm-hmm. And so at the last second, they pulled it. 
and they were they were they said no it would be insensitive to show this right now we need to do something else and they ended up showing a doc savage movie which i'm not mad at but yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's it's interesting that i mean and that's four years after right. this came out this is a 74 release that was 78 and so but it's interesting that even after that time had passed that this that they could still look at this movie and go, yeah, that's that's gonna mess people up with with what's going on right now, and mm-hmm. they they pulled it, which uh, which was just it was fascinating to me because now, so that's nineteen seventy eight. Now, how many networks? If if there were some sort of Christmas season massacre tomorrow, how many networks are gonna cash in and be like, we should show Black Christmas? Now. Right, you know, it's it's like it's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. of of what the of what things have come to, uh, are are now and so it was just really interesting to me that there was still that national awareness of trying to be you know be sensitive to the fact that something terrible had just happened and so and I, not I did, sensationalizing it yeah exactly right. and not just not just keep it on the news so I, I did I did uh, I did find that very interesting like I said there's there's a there's just a couple bits and pieces about even the making of this movie that are that are just it, it's really cool to read about. I I know you're a big older film guy. Mm-hmm. I am not so much. I'm I'm you know getting into the older ones is one of the things that that I'm loving about doing this show. Uh, so, but I've I've never really been a big behind the scenes guy until we started doing this, and I started reading about just all the ins and outs sometimes that happened during this, and it really started really, the, when we did Evil Dead, and I just got sucked down a rabbit hole of reading yeah. that everything that went into making that movie. Now I try to find at least one interesting bit about the making of it every time. Yeah, that's uh, that's part of what uh, attracts me to to movies in the first place is the making of them. Right, and uh, and this one does have a really interesting. Uh, production process because it's it's based on um, a sort of like urban legend of the babysitter and the phone call uh, yeah the babysitter and the phone call and um, no one can ever kind of track down like where that really came from and and I think it's because it's just it's a scary story that people tell right Um, and uh, this wouldn't be the last time that they did it either you know I think 78 or 79 is uh, when a stranger calls which is another fantastic horror movie yes kind of borders on that thriller you know not quite horror not quite thriller um uh and again you know the whole you know the calls are coming from inside the house um you know but but that's that's where that comes from so i i I think even um to to go back and, and and look at how how this thing is born from like the germ of the idea where like it influences someone like Roy Moore to say, let me write a movie about this. And then right. Bob, Bob Clark sees this and he's like, Hey, let me insert my life into this, you know? Cause like his aunt is the house mother. Oh yeah. I did. I did. I did run across that. And, and he, he does this for all his movies. Like Porky's is based on like his time in Florida when he was a teenager, you know? So like, he's, he's just, he's <laughs> that kind of guy and horrifying. Right. Yeah. Um, which by the way, Florida hasn't changed very much. So, <laughs> so speaking of the calls coming from inside the house, that's what we're going to call our next section here. We're, I really want to talk about the fact that, I mean, this, 
we always we always go to that idea of something being offensively insert decade here, right? Mm-hmm. This movie I wouldn't call offensively seventies, but it definitely leans hard on that seventies aesthetic. So we've got seventies yeah. aesthetic, we've got this tone, we've got the Giallo films that you were talking about, and the idea of thrillers, and just Bob Clark taking all of this and creating this movie that you can honestly look back and say before it, there was nothing like it. So when you watch this movie now, does it, does it work? Did it work then? Does it still work for you? I think that this is maybe one of the best crafted slashers uh, that we've had on the show. Definitely. And of all time, Uh, because so much of it makes sense. Yeah. And and the story follows logically from one thing to the next. And characters behave like real people. Uh it's you, you, no one behaves um like oddly stupid to, to get from one plot point to the next. It's something we talked about with Barbarian that I will continue to talk about until the end of fucking time <laughs> because no one fucking behaves that way, you know? Correct. Um and and the characters in this movie behave like real people. You know, when when Jess gets these phone calls, she's shook. She has no idea what to do with this. So she files a police report, Yeah, you know, and and, and she follows up on it. And the police behave like real police officers where like, yeah, there's some incompetent guys, but there's some good cops. And guys are like, why the fuck didn't you follow up on this thing? Why didn't you tell me about this? You know, um, I really want to know what happens after the movie to right. Sar- sergeant what's his name nash uh sergeant nash what <laughs> an incompetent nash. fucker oh my god <laughs> like if if there's a guy who should not be a police officer it's sergeant nash <laughs> i love i love that there that there's a cop who's just credited as laughing police officer because that's <laughs> yeah. the only thing he does is sit at his desk and laugh at how stupid nash is because he knows that the phone number says fellatio and that nash yeah didn't get it and he's just laughing hysterically while the lieutenant goes to read it i love it. yeah nash is nash is nash is like the serious movie version of in scary movie when they did like the the mentally disabled brother who just thought he was like a sheriff nash is like the doofy? Well, this is was a serious doof it doofy doofus something like that yeah. um but yeah like he was uh he, God, he was so funny, but because of the fact that he wasn't trying to be funny, like it was just, yeah. he was so ridiculously incompetent. It was amazing. He was uh, Farva. Yeah, there we go. He was Farva. Yeah, he was Farva uh, before Farva. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, to, to me, the, the story is is really what makes this scary. Um, because there, there are really no jump scares. Um, you know, this relies totally on atmosphere and those, those moments where, where Billy makes the phone calls, like it's just dialogue. Yeah. And there's no ambient sound. All you're hearing is uh, the actors because um, there were multiple people who did voices, although it was primarily the guy who was cast as Billy, uh, Nick Mancuso. And um, it's really fucking scary. Um, And, and these, um, these, these girls behave the way that, they should fathers are behaving the way that they should right mothers are behaving the way that they should to to me that's one of the things that really kind of sets this movie apart um and man i keep going back to those phone calls 
they're fucking terrifying dude they're so the, the phone calls and they and they keep escalating and mm. they keep getting scarier i i mean honestly the very first phone call they get which is essentially just a a verbal sexual assault right is is even scary in itself like that first one is just it's so weird in this this age of i you know i don't answer my phone unless i see unless it's a name that i know calling me right you know it's such a weird thing to look back and go man 50 years ago people just had to answer the phone and listen to whoever the hell was on the other side right. like it's so bizarre and this this idea of these these guys that would just that would call and just say filthy things which by the way this movie did not pull any punches on how filthy no. that language was. Like that yeah. dude was dropping C bombs. Like we cuss on right. this show and we don't say that word. No. And so like, and, and, and he was saying it a lot yeah. in the most grotesque way possible. And so it was just, so it started there, but then the escalation into the insanity that those phone calls became mm-hmm. was terrifying. And trying to figure out what they mean. Yes. Like, okay, so what's the backstory here? You know, and and I know that we'll get to it when we get to Billy, but like, that's what to me is like the most scary of everything is like, what the fuck happened to this guy? Mm -hmm. It's outrageous. Like, I think that this movie is definitely scary because one of the things about this movie is even is even for a slasher, this feels like this could happen at at any moment. Uh, I have I have a a very good friend uh, who is terrified of of just her attic in general, right? Like she doesn't. Like anytime there's a noise, it's like nope. There's people in the attic uh, immediately. I'm like, <laughs> never watch the movie Black Christmas, right? Like, yeah, or the people under the stairs. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just. But this movie, I mean. What you get, you get a girl who gets killed by dry cleaner bag over her head. Obviously, that's something that can happen. They've got to put a warning label on them. You know, you, uh, the 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 house mom getting knocked out by just a random piece of junk that's in the attic and then hooked up on it. Yeah, like this stuff can happen. You know, the guy didn't magically teleport up there. We get to see him climb the trellis and get into it. They even say, "Oh, well, it's a sorority house, so we don't even really lock many of the doors and windows." Like yeah. all of this. Nothing in this movie ever felt supernatural. The, the 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 closest it gets to that is just this idea that one dude can uh, can do all these voices, right? But we've all heard people do voices. Uh, so, but he he did uh, Mancuso. He did some like insane acrobatic stuff. Yes, while he was recording to 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 get these voices out, and he didn't do them all. Bob Clark did some of the voices as well, but. Um, like he would do crazy shit, like standing on his head, okay. to 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 compress his uh his voice box, so that he would get like a more distorted and garbled sound. Like who the fuck thinks of that? Yeah, really, really cool stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so when I look at how scary this movie is, that that's what it boils down to to me. Like this falls into that genre of uh, the strangers and hush. Right yeah. where you watch this and it's it's horrifying because it's so it's so painfully realistic, mm-hmm. and you know it, it's it's scary because 
these uh, it's one of the things that's scary about it in the the kind of the same way that that halloween is scary is these girls as far as we know didn't do anything to this dude no they it was just because you were there right and and you know it's it's whenever that becomes the onus that somebody uses for murder that escalates how scary it is you, if it's mm-hmm. a revenge thing, if it's if it's whatever, some of that stuff kind of makes sense. When we did the new Texas Chainsaw, it's like, yeah, he killed a lot of people, but also they were dickheads and tried to keep his mom out of their house, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, like there's there's some. There's I mean, some I always take a chainsaw to the people that try to keep my mom out of her house. <laughs> you know what? Probably. Uh, so <laughs> it's so just this idea of well, your window wasn't locked and you were here, and so mm-hmm. this is what happened. That's that's really scary. You know what else I think is really scary is that when Jess picks up the phone for the first time and uh, he starts doing the whole, you know, fat piggy. scene. Yes. Um, she says he's calling back. Yeah. So they've been living it. So either. This this is premeditated, which I don't think it is, or. That's some commentary on what women have to deal with. Right. You know, with like these perverted guys who call. I mean, it's I, I guess would be the 1970s equivalent of like a random dick pic. Good call. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, yeah. And, and I, 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 I think that's I think that's equivalent. what that is, you know, because we get that there at the beginning. But then there's also like. What. Um, shit. Uh, the first character to die. Um. Oh. Um. Um. Uh, uh, Declare. Declare. Yeah, I was gonna say Cynthia. It's not Cynthia. Uh, <laughs> but I got a C. Um. Uh. Coincidentally, wouldn't have made a C if I uh was was at school. Uh, tr- <laughs> trying to to guess this name. Um. She's made fun of for being like um. Prudish. Permanent virgin. Yeah, per- a yeah, professional virgin. Professional virgin. I fucking love that line. <laughs> yeah, oh, she's a professional virgin, and, and uh, we'll, we'll get to characters, but fucking yeah. Barb, <laughs> outstanding. Yes. Um, and and then like Barb is called a whore, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then when when we find out that Jess is pregnant, she kind of like really asserts herself, and she's like, okay, well. Uh, I don't want to keep this. And she's clearly being like forced into keeping this baby. Right. You know, uh, he's like, no, we're going to get married. I'm going to take care of the baby. You know how much I want the baby. And uh, John Saxon seems to have picked up on that in one of those phone calls. And he's like, what's this about? And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, you know, so I, I definitely think that the, um, the horrors of being a woman yeah are are on display in this one um and 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 i think that that's part of it yeah because there there's there's a whole other element here that's that's scary which is how far patrick will will go um uh-huh. or peter peter patrick which one is just boyfriend peter uh, uh peter peter yeah how far peter is is willing to go because his girlfriend says, 
no, I'm not going to marry you. I'm not mm-hmm. keeping this baby. And you're right that that idea that that we see in you know now people people love to to make a movie now and 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 throw up the you know the flag of of oh look feminist horror. But mm-hmm. I mean this this movie did that. This movie explored some of those things. And you, I think you put it really well in saying that one of the scary things about this movie is the the horror of being a woman sometimes. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've, in talking about the story, we've talked about characters a lot and and I really think that that's where this movie shines. So, um, let's just go ahead and and get into it. I'm, I'm calling this section campus life, uh, because I went back and forth, like, you know, should we call it student activities? Should we call it the student body? But when it comes down (laughs) to it, there's more than just students here, right? Um, because the police force is is a force to be reckoned with here, mm-hmm. right? Um, the really interesting thing here is that there's like a, a mix of established actors and up and coming actors, kind of all thrown in here. And this movie had a budget of six hundred and twenty thousand dollars, which is not a lot even back in nineteen seventy four. Right. So um, to think that they got all these actors together for this one movie like that's that's fucking incredible um was there any actor or actors that left a lasting impression on you well the the initial one the is just uh, uh, olivia husey uh as jess i mean one just absolute bombshell i have she may have been one of my first crushes. I I was just about to say uh, she is she is definitely one of my first crushes from mm-hmm. when I watched um, Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet when Absolutely. I was in high school. Yep, and, and I mean if if you're if you're a teenage boy and you can watch uh, Zeffirelli's version of Romeo and Juliet, and not fall in love with Olivia Husey, dude, you might like dudes. Like it's yeah, there, which is which is fine, which is cool. Um, yeah, but, but I, I mean, but I also know plenty of guys. There. I also know plenty of guys who like guys and will definitely throw it in there with Olivia <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she was she did an amazing job. She was she was beautiful. She was strong when she needed to be. Like I said, there was this this whole concept of her of her staking her place in the world and and taking this idea of not letting her boyfriend not letting uh, uh, uh or the fact that she got pregnant define her you know she says all of those things i told you i wanted to do i still want to do those things when she's talking to uh to peter and so she was she was incredible just the way that she even evolved through the movie when we when we first see her those first couple times the, at the beginning of this movie it's kind of hard to tell who the focus is going to be it's not immediately apparent who is the final girl who's going to be the main one and she it feels very natural the way that she slides into this final girl role which is real cool so she accomplished that real well but man, I just I, I'll I'll never not go to bat for John Saxon. Uh, you're muted. You're muted, big dog. Uh, How about you yeah, you yeah. Uh, sorry, I was coughing. I'm getting over a cold, and I didn't want to cough into the microphone. <laughs> uh, yes, I will fucking die on the hill, of John Saxon. Yes. All right, whether it's in like a, something crazy like Enter the Dragon, or it's. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Because he's in fucking Air so, of the Dragon, so good. you know, and uh, or 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 it's something like a Nightmare on Elm Street. Like he's fucking great yes. in everything. And I mean, just Stone Cold Fox too. Like 1974, oh, yeah. John Saxon is is prime dude. Like yeah. he's just he and he does he does such a good job because we get so many elements of him. We get this very serious about his police work guy and and he he wants to he wants to do the right thing and solve this case we get this guy who is uh very paternal almost in his in his interactions with these sorority girls and and he definitely seems to have a lot of interest because before they even know anything about a killer he's super interested in just making sure that they don't have to deal with these phone calls anymore yeah. and so he really took that role of just lead detective and made it something worth watching. And yeah. he he just, he did such a good job and you get to see him cut up and deal with the dickheads at his police station. Mm-hmm. You, you get to see him interacting with parents. He never just completely shuts Claire's dad down. He, he listens to him and, and he wants to help him out. He really took this idea of just cop in a slasher flick and and made it something to where it was it was a good role with mm-hmm. some depth. You know, there are there are gonna be a lot of times, there have been and will be times on this show where we do slashers, and there's going to be incompetent cop A who could have done XYZ and everything would have been avoided. The a Lieutenant Fuller, John Saxon in this movie, literally did everything in his power. And the thing and the cards still fell exactly where they did. And right. the the fact that John Saxon portrayed all of that believably loved it. Those were those were the two for me um, that stood out the most. Uh, honorable mention to uh, Chris's jawline. Um, yeah, yeah, that is a strong jaw. That dude can take a punch. Um, it is. I mean, it is just firm, square jaw. Also, he looks like a not dwarf sized version of Peter Dinklage. And the entire time I was looking at him, I was like, this dude looks like he could be Peter Dinklage's (laughs) dad. He's got the exact, he's got that Tyrion head. It's the exact same head, but man, that's a strong jaw. There, there's a, like no wonder that dude plays plays goalie for his hockey team. Cause he's just (laughs) locking them all right here. Just throwing that face around. Yeah. No, uh, no glass jaw there. No, 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 no. Um, so at uh, like you said, um, I mean Olivia Hussey for me, uh, she's one of my first loves. Um, maybe the reason why I care about Shakespeare at all is uh, is because of her. Um, but <laughs> when uh, when I think of this movie, the very first character that I think of is Barb oh, yeah. um, and and Margot Robbie. Uh, not not Margot Robbie, Margot Kidder. Sorry, um, I do often think of Margot Robbie. <laughs> um, Don't we all? Yeah. Um, so this is a couple years before Superman, um, but she's not a nobody at this time, and. I, I, she just like it's a very modern character. Yes, like she and Jess play very modern characters, and and um, everything that I know about the mid seventies is that um, you know it, there had been this 
wave of change that came in the late 60s. And, um, you know, there, there was this sense of empowerment, but it wasn't really accepted by everyone. Right. You know, so to see such strong convictions and, 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 and strong personality where like this isn't just like a meek woman, um, you know, because um, Claire, was it? Yeah. Um, you Wait, know, which uh, one? Uh, the the first one killed with the dry yeah. back yeah it's yeah Claire uh, you know great character but she's very meek she's very mousy mm -hmm. you can tell that she kind of is a you know she doesn't want to rock the boat that's not Barb and 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 Barb to me reminds me so much of the friends that I had in high school the friends that I had in college the friends that I still have today. <laughs> and um to me that's that's part of the reason why she's so endearing because she is who she is like she lays it all yeah. out there um and she doesn't give a fuck who it is that she's talking to either because she's always going to be honest um and, and i think that everything you need to know about barb is in um your introduction to her where she's talking to her mom on the phone and <laughs> yeah. she, she tells her mother, she says, you're a real gold plated whore, mommy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's so funny, but it's really true, you know, because we don't know what exactly it is that they're talking about, but you get the, the impression that it's just like, I don't give a fuck what you have to say. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do me. You do you. And she's she's obviously unimpressed by whatever her money her mom is throwing around because she's like, oh, I'm, who wants to go skiing? You know, my mom's taking a ski and there's plenty of room, blah, blah, blah. Right, you know, right, it's right. Like she that that was not exciting news for her at all. Yeah. You know, so she just she wants to have fun. She's in college. She wants to she she wants to blaze her own trail. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't want to spend too much more time on, on any particular character because, uh, you, you kind of touched all the best ones. Right. Um, however, no, there was one other, you didn't mention, uh, the house mother. Oh yeah. Miss Mac, Miss Mac. Holy fuck. What a great character dude like you know you're you're talking about bob clark like making making porkies that woman would fit right into porkies or animal house she yeah. she very easily could have been a character <laughs> in animal house no yeah. problem the exact same character with the exact same lines doing the exact same things you just put her in animal house she fits right in it was amazing she understood the assignment yes she knew exactly what she was supposed to be and and she fucking delivered. Um, and and if the the scenes of her with the girls were not enough, the moment that she's by herself and she looks at like this uh, this frock that they've gotten her, and she said, <laughs> "I wouldn't wear this to have my liver out." Yeah, <laughs> so great. And like and it's and it's it's such like a prim and proper old lady thing to yeah. do where even though she's in a sorority house, she doesn't drink like with the girls, she but she's got sherry hidden everywhere. everywhere. So great. <laughs> there's there's a moment where she's looking through the closet trying to find it, and she's just kind of mumbling. She's like, damn, she doesn't drink itself. Like just like stuff like that. She was just <laughs> she was so she was so much fun and and was and 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 seemed to fit right in with all of those girls for yeah. for for everything that that I know about sorority life um, from living here close to campus. It's that 
find, you know, this, this amazingly eclectic group of girls all being in one place. If, if that's the way it was, that's the way, that's not the way it is anymore. Yeah. I mean, the, you, you go to a sorority, like when you get into a sorority, it's because you're a photocopy of the girls that are there already, or you become one because that's the sorority. You we've really we've all seen the Bama into. rush TikToks. I, you know, it is. I will, I will never get over the fact that uh, like one day I just suddenly get texts from you, Steph, Vanessa, and Neri, like yeah. all on the same day. And it's like, what the hell is Bama Rush? And why is it all over my TikTok? And I'm like, I don't know why it's on your TikTok. Is it, is it the, the pants store? Is that, is that yes, the one? That yes. And then you were about? like, and then you were like, also, what is the pants store? And should I buy stock in it? Because that's, that's where it was hot to buy your, your, uh, your OTTDs or whatever outfit yeah. of the day, OOTD. Um, yeah. that, that's where it was O-O-T-D. cool to buy your yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, yeah. But exactly. If, if, if you were one of the people who was assaulted by Bama Rush Talk, um, then, then, you know, like you see a group of girls from one house and it goes, oh, okay. That's the house for these girls. Right. That's the house for these girls. <laughs> so it, it was just, yeah. it was, it was, it was really cool to kind of, and like I said, that is that is looking at it through the lens of of modern day. I mean, for all I know, in the seventies, sororities were more eclectic than they are now. I would only assume they weren't. Um, you know, at, at least when when I was in college here in Miami, um, FIU, which is the you know we, we've got two big schools here. We've got University of Miami, and we've got Florida International University. Um. UM is obviously, you know, world famous, you know, the football team, the baseball team, you know, it's huge. Um, I didn't know very many people who went there. I didn't know a few. Um, You know, you kind of have to be in a different tax bracket. Yeah. uh, Yeah, To to get into the University of Miami Um, or not to get in, but to go. Right. Um, And then and then to be in Greek life is is a whole nother strategy. Yeah. Yeah. but I had quite a few friends that went to FIU and um, a number of them rushed different fraternities. And uh, even though I didn't attend that school, I knew what the um, how, how to put it um, reputation of yeah. each fraternity was. So one was more of like the geeky academic one. And one was more of like the party one. And one was like the burnout one. Um, and Florida law prohibits sorority houses. So there are sororities, but they don't have houses. Really? Yeah. Still to this day. <sighs> Interesting. But frat houses exist. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, t- tell tell me which is more debauched, and um, you yeah, know yeah, I'll yeah. tell you which one has a house. There you uh, go. Here in the state of Florida, it makes an awful lot of sense. But um, yeah, so I, I I do think that that was kind of a thing, you know, where uh, what was it, Chi Lambda, Chi uh, Lambda Sigma, right down there, Chi Lambda Sigma. That's it. Yeah, there. Uh, fuck yeah. Pi, pi, or yeah, but no wait, that's 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 a uh, Pi Kappa Sigma. Kaipak, yeah, 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 yeah. Pikeapakas, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, I forget who it was. Was it was it Claire's boyfriend that sees um, her dad, or someone else's? No, it, like, uh, oh no, it was Jess's boyfriend. It was Jess's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. And he says and... that he knows her. He knows the girls at that house, and he seems to be a somewhat more academic type, right? Yeah, he's there. He's there for, the uh, for piano. Yeah, um, you know, so. I, I have a feeling that 
this isn't exactly like the party house. Right. So it's kind of where the bar would be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, and the, yeah, that's like I said, it was just, so that was, that was a fascinating slice that, and like I said, it doesn't take anything away from the movie. Mm. It, it definitely adds to it to just have these characters who are eclectic. And yeah, I mean, you, you had, you had mentioned just, just Barb and Margot Kidder, man. She's, she's, she's a scene stealer, you know, anytime yeah. she's there, you know, and she's, she's just constant. She puts everybody in their place. Like mm. she's, She's she's the John Wayne, the Charmin of those sorority girls. <laughs> Rough, tough, don't take shit off no one, right? Like yeah. it's just, it was it was really cool to see her, and and it's funny because I always do think of Superman, and yeah. so I actually went and double checked it because I, I was I wasn't sure what year Superman came out, so it was interesting to go and see that this predated that. Yeah, not by much. Superman was 78, um, and they worked on Superman for a while, so I think they started shooting in 76. So it's, you know, more or less, like, right around the same time. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, Superman is when she really blew up. Yeah, exactly. So we've talked characters, and now, as we are wont to do when we talk uh, slasher movies, we're going to give Billy his own section that we're just going to call Billy. I mean, Billy is uh, is a unique type of horror killer in the fact that he's uh, a presence, but we never see him, mm -hmm. right? He's this ambiguous evil that's decided to pick on these girls in this sorority house. He, We never see him, but he is omnipresent. He mm -hmm. is he is you can feel billy in every scene of this movie from from the very first scene which is when you see him climb the trellis and go in so when you look back and, and you and you think about billy and you you start to kind of line him up against these other guys i mean does does it work that he while setting the precedent is still something very unique or did you want more from billy I think that we got exactly as much from Billy as we needed because what's scary about Billy is not who he is, but how out of his mind he is. Right. And, and, and there's no better way to get that than by just hearing his voice because the madness in his voice, and we, we, we get one shot of his eye. Right. And it's a it's a rather insane looking eye. Like he's it, got that crazed look in his eye. Yes, sir. Now, <clears throat> the interesting thing is that the studio didn't like the ambiguous ending. Right. And um, they were trying to strong arm Bob Clark into changing it. So that Claire's boyfriend was oh, identified okay. at the end of the movie as the killer. So that at the end of the movie, once the police exit the room and Jess is laying there sedated, we see him. Right. And he's the one who says, we see him say, where's Agnes? Because ah, he, he, okay. comes, he comes into the room and then closes the door and he tells her, where's Agnes? So um, it was going to leave very little up to the imagination. And Bob Clark said, no, that fucking sucks. I'm not doing it. Right. And thankfully, the studio didn't press the matter enough for him to have to leave and then ruin the film. Right. Because that's happened before. Um, in fact, like my favorite Frankenstein movie in the Hammer series, the studio intervened. They were like, needs more sex. And he's like, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. 
they're like, no, 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 it needs specifically more, sex. more Frankenstein sex. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, so they they in, they shot a rape scene. Jesus, between Doctor Frankenstein and yeah, and it was like it, it comes way out of nowhere and it fucking ruins the movie. Um. I've tried to push it out of my mind and I just like, okay, that, that didn't happen. It's not there. Right. And, and then I watched the rest of the movie. So I'm glad they didn't do that because that ambiguous ending, you know, cause we now know who Billy isn't. Yes. Yeah. yeah we yeah. still don't know who he is because yeah, it could be Claire's boyfriend, but it could be fucking anyone. Correct. It's, it's, it's so weird because it, what's what's really interesting to me about this idea of never really finding out who the killer is is if they had if if they had revealed it you know and and a movie were to be made now where there was an obvious slasher throughout the entire mm-hmm. film and then at the end we never found out who it was it would be it would be people would be raving about how revolutionary that was. And they, they left it up to your imagination. And now you got to go to bed at night wondering who it was, blah, blah, blah. And what's funny is even though this movie came out almost 50 years ago, if you were to make a movie where you did that now, how many of these people would talk about how revolutionary it was that you left the ending ambiguous. Mm -hmm. And so they, he laid the groundwork for this amazing thing that at the time couldn't be fully appreciated because the genre of slasher is a dude that we know mm-hmm. didn't exist. It, the idea of leaving it ambiguous and making it seem like you had the right guy until the last minute is so freakishly ahead of its time mm-hmm. to, to blaze the trail with something that is going to outshoot anything people do for so long with the genre is insane. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I think that that's great. And I think that one of the reasons it works so well is because if all we have of Billy is the insanity encompassed in these phone calls and we can't put a face to it, that is scarier. There is n- there is nothing they could have put. No one, no person, no mask, nothing they could have put on screen than is going to be scarier of you trying to imagine what the person who was making these phone calls looks like. Yeah. And that's so good. That makes it this incredible thing where you're trying to think through the craziest people you know, the craziest movie characters that you can think of, and and you're trying to put them in the shoes of Billy making these phone calls. And could this, you know, could such and such a person be that crazy? And so you then then you if you if you listen to to true crime stuff or whatever and you got this serial you you've got this catalog of serial killers you start running through them and you're like man I don't this is this is Ed Gein like could Ed Gein do you know and you you start just what you create inside your head becomes this horrifying amalgamation of just the worst people you've ever known and or heard of. And it becomes this untouchable movie monster that would have been completely dispelled and ruined if they had put a face on Billy that we knew. 
And for that, like we can never thank Bob Clark enough for sticking to his guns on that one because that ending, man, to 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 for the police to yeah, good job, guys. We did it. Put him behind bars. Exactly what we thought it was. He's dead now. Ba ba ba. You know, and then and then just to have that ending where the phone is just ringing. And am I wrong in that I thought I saw a person that you couldn't see come out the front door of the sorority house during the credits? I think it was a police officer. Oh, okay. It was a police officer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and but still like, so, okay. So that wasn't him. I was thinking like, man, this dude knows the house is empty. He's going to have a cigarette. Um, <laughs> and so, and, but it was, you know, just, just the idea. That's a lot of killing for one day. I need me a break. <laughs> Woo, I am burned. It's time to visit Marlboro country. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so, but it's just, it was, it, it's, it's so good and it's so fascinating. And that is something that I did not remember about this movie. So as it ended and I'm sitting there going, Peter's not the killer. She didn't kill him. And I'm looking, I'm like, there's not a lot of time left here. And, and, you know, modern horror fan brain is going, how are they going to wrap this up? How are they going to wrap this mm-hmm. up? And then they fucking don't brilliant. I mean, yeah. that's, it's so good. I I like a proper ending to a movie um, because something like, say, um, Friday the 13th, for example, the first Friday the 13th. Okay. That's got a definitive ending. Yes. And, and I think it's a great one. Um, just like part four has a very definitive ending. Uh, you know, Michael's dead. Yeah, okay, not yeah. Michael, uh, Jason. He's dead. And that's that's it. It ends there. Um, however, if you leave it open, when in fact you were never really certain that he was the killer in the first place. Right. It's all circumstantial. It then becomes that much more terrifying. Yeah. Because then it's like, is he coming for me? You know, and, and that's that's we have to remember that <clears throat> though today movies are seen primarily in our homes we stream them right um back in 1974 this was done for people to watch in a movie theater right in fact movies weren't really played on tv at all um like you you got like old 1930s and 40s movies that were replayed on tv uh on saturdays and that was it so like a movie was a movie going experience. So like you as the audience together were left with this. Who was he? And you're talking about this stuff after the movie. You know, yeah. it, it was it was all part of the experience. Um, something that, you know, if if you're if you're a, a teenager today, if you're in your like early 20s today, you kind of missed out on that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's unfortunate. I mean, it's, there's nothing you can do about it, but I, I don't know about you, but I remember, you know, every Saturday we went to the mall, we saw a movie, whatever it was, whether there was a horror movie, an action movie, a comedy, it didn't, didn't fucking matter. And even when you had seen all the movies that were out, you still went to the mall. You yeah. still saw a movie. And afterwards, you went to like Johnny Rockets or some shit. And you ate cheese fries and 
you had a milkshake because that's all the fucking money you had. <laughs> right. And um, and you just talked about it. Yeah. And and if if your friends were like real film nerds, you talked about like some of the other stuff you picked up on in the movie. Like, oh, yeah, it reminded me of like clerks and that reminded me of like, you know, this movie or that movie. <clears throat> that's part of the experience here that um, you you have to view it through the lens of someone watching the movie in 1974 i think also for a lot of people the significance of the calls coming from the house is lost on them because today you got cell phones yes and 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 i can call you from like right next door to you you yeah i could be in that window back window (laughs) like hey what's up pick up the phone i'm calling you that meant something back in the 70s Right. You know, and and so that makes Billy all the more terrifying because he's right under your nose. Yeah. It it shouldn't make sense. You know, very few houses had more than one phone line. So to have the call come from within the house and you not know about it, I mean, that that moment still makes me. Uh, no matter how many times I've seen it, and I, I've pretty much seen it every Christmas since I saw it about 10 years ago. Um, I, I, I I still like I, I get tight. Right. I'm like, oh, fuck. He's there. You know, he's this guy that's been calling yeah. and saying these things to you. The, the insanity of what's going on, like none of it makes sense. And it's clearly all like some sort of traumatic thing that happened to him. Right, that he's taking out on you. Yeah, you know, who's fucking Agnes? Right, was it his sister? Did he kill her? Was this like? Do we kind of get like a like a Michael and uh, uh, shit? What was Michael's sister's name? Was it Judy? Oh my god, I can't remember. I I spend so much time arguing with people about who's not his sister. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. You know, but is it is it like kind of like that where like he killed his sister? You know. Um. And was she a baby? Was she older? Um, why was he alone? You know, the father seems to know that something was wrong with Billy from the beginning and and didn't seem to be trusted because you know, he tells Judy. the mom, you know, the, the it was Judy. OK, yeah, I thought so. Um, really, all I remember about Judy is is, is her boobies. Um, <laughs> Fair. It's, it's almost all you see of her. Yeah. So, um but it's he's having conversations with himself as different people right. and each voice sounds different. You know, so the father's talking to the mother, like, why did you leave him alone with her? What's the fucking story here with Billy? There's so much here. You could make a whole nother movie just on Billy and have that movie end with him walking up, you know, climbing up the trellis to get into the attic. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm in. Oh yeah, no, without a doubt. It's uh, one of the things about the the ambiguous ending of this movie that's so good is, uh, you know, uh, what ten uh, nine years later, right? Eighty three is Sleepaway Camp. Like nine yep. years later, we get this movie that has the complete opposite ending. This movie has got this ambiguous, a- a- this ambiguous ending. You're you you don't know who the killer is. You're but it but it's all very peaceful and calm. Mm-hmm. And then nine years later, we take this idea of of not knowing who the killer is for such a long time. Then at the last second, giving this freakish reveal, and then 
freezing, you know, this horrifying yeah. image and just keeping it right there. So just in that nine years, we get such a cool evolution of, of the horror and slasher genre. Yeah. And cause that, that's what I thought while the credits were rolling and I was sitting there, you know, thinking about the fact that I didn't know anything about Billy. And then I still wasn't hundred percent what was going on. I was like, man, this ending is the polar opposite of sleepaway camp. Yeah. Which I, I thought was I, I I really enjoyed that it it was man he's he's a wild ass idea like the idea of the killer that you never find out I just I love it I think it's great there's there's some Keystone slashers um, that come after this you know shortly after this that I think like you need to look at to see how the evolution of the the tropey slasher killer comes from right. Because you get Michael, you know, from the very beginning, you know, it's Michael, you know who he is and you see him almost the whole time. So it's like almost the complete opposite. Like John Carpenter, being a fan of this, knew what worked and decided to try something entirely different. Right. Um, but then you have Sean Cunningham with Friday the 13th doing something really, really similar. And then like, it's like, OK, I think it's this guy. Everyone right. keeps talking about this Jason guy, you know, and then when the mom comes in at the end, like most people are like, oh, she's here to like help find Jason or whatever. Right. And and then, you know, bam, she's the fucking killer. And so that's a very different approach to like the, the slasher killer as well. And then we have Sleepaway Camp right. two years after that. So I really love looking at movies that kind of help establish a subgenre because as they're creating the tropes they're also like experimenting right and doing and doing new like out there things um i don't think that we have another slasher ever where the killer is left so ambiguous i i was racking my brain trying to think of one there's always a reveal right um, and 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 I think that a lot of that comes from the fact that this had no intention of being a slasher. It stole a lot, um, or I don't want to say stole, but it borrowed a lot from the Italian giallos, where it was really like the mystery was central to the plot. Right. And uh, and in in fact, the plot itself was not terribly important. It was all that reveal at the end, uh, very much like a like a noir. Where it was, you know, to me, that's what the Giallos were. Is it was just an evolution of the noir film, where you know it was like some guy is gotten involved in some crazy conspiracy and he's got to find his way out. The Giallo was just sexier and bloodier. Yeah, and um, and and this was the next step in the evolution, which is why I, it you won't see it as the definitive first slasher, like Halloween is often called that, right? But it's all here in it. Man, you and one other thing that was that that made me stop and think about what year some movies were related uh, were released. There's a moment in this film so uh, that made me go check and double check what year Empire Strikes Back came out, which is 1980. And I was yeah. I was pretty sure of that, but I did go double check. The one of the most iconic moments in Empire Strikes Back is Leia, I love you, Han, I know. Yeah. And Jess dropped that on Peter in this movie. Mm -hmm. It was so good. Like I was like, 
wait a minute, that's that's Han and Leia's line. I was like, this yeah. is six years before that, and it was so good, and it was reversed. Like there was, it was so great. There was such a cool moment after he's ranted and raved, and and she and he drops the I love you, and she just drops I know, and it's like, oh shit, that's yeah. so cool. <laughs> like it was, and again, like, and he's unfazed by it, so you yeah. know that this has happened before, where yeah. he's trying to get that I love you from her, and he never gets it. Exactly, but yeah, I am. I immediately was like. No, no, no. Pretty sure Empire was 1980. Gonna go double check. Okay, yeah. no. So Empire did it not first. Cool, cool. Yeah, well, and, and the same with the the calls are coming from from the house. Um, this predates um, When a Stranger Calls. Right. Most people think of When a Stranger Calls because, I mean, it's in the title of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and there's definitely a lot of this in When a Stranger Calls, at least in the first half of it. Um, have you ever seen it? Uh, I have not seen When a Stranger Calls. I know of it. but And and honestly, before I kind of got into this movie, like I said, a lot of it surprised me. I did associate with the calls. The calls are coming from inside the house with When a Stranger Calls. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's natural because of the title of the movie. But uh, this is another way in which like this, this movie helps set so many of those tropes and, and a lot of a lot of it is billy because if you look at what defines billy i mean you go back to any slasher and it's there you yeah. know it's it's the traumatic event that triggers something in in the killer whether it's in um my bloody valentine or the prowler or um i mean e e even friday the 13th Right. You know, it's 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 all there. It's some sort of traumatic event. It triggers them. And it's like, now I must kill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, for for as much as we've talked about this movie, the reason that we are doing it in December is because tis the season. Right. I mean, we're in December. We're looking at Christmas movies. Uh, I mean, in a movie where Black Christmas is in the title, regardless of trying to be released on TV as a stranger in the house or whatever they were <laughs> going to call it. It's called Black Christmas. Yeah. So for as much as this movie defines and 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 just elevates the idea of, of horror and the, the, the slasher, I mean, how does it work as a Christmas movie? I think that it has an undeniably Christmas feel to it. Um. What's really interesting is that everyone is going home for Christmas. Right. Uh, which kind of sets up this idea that people can be missing and you don't really think too much about it. Like, yeah. you know, Claire's gone. No one has seen her for a day and no one really thinks too much of it. They're like, oh, yeah, she was going to go meet her dad. Yeah. Okay, great. You know, that's the perfect setup for, for me to kill this woman now because no one's going to be looking for her for at least a day. Um. What's really interesting is the way that like families play into this um, because Christmas, just like Thanksgiving, is is such a a family centric holiday, right? right? And yet, so many people can't stand their families. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hate to put it that way, uh, but like the idea of like sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner with your family. Like with the entire family. Um, that's a horror story in itself sometimes. It can be. Um, especially on an election year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I really like how 
family dynamics are played up in this for someone like Claire, who seems to have a pretty strong relationship with, uh, with her family, um, wants to keep that strong bond with her family. She's discovering who she is, right? She's got, you know, the, the, the peace sign poster with the people fucking, uh, <laughs> you know, so she's, she's so, kind of getting, so she's getting to a place where she's a groovy chick, man. Uh, yeah. She's a groovy chick. Um, you know, but then we've got someone like Barb, who like calls her mom a, glo- a gold-plated whore, you know? <laughs> um, and then we have someone like Jess, whose concept of family is defined by her and her alone, you know, by saying that she's going to abort the child, that she doesn't want to marry uh, Peter. It's it, She takes family into her own hands. So um, although it isn't strictly Christmas-related, I do think that the theme of family, which is present in every single Christmas movie. Right. Um, you know, even Die Hard. All right. Um, <laughs> there it is. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that it's it's integral to the Christmas movie, this idea of family and this idea that these girls have created their own family here, their own family dynamic, where you do have like the, the person that you're slightly afraid of, but you also like really like like barb and then there's the one who's like the easy target like claire and then you have the one that kind of like is the glue that keeps everything together in jess right she was definitely the peacemaker um and uh is it andrea who is just like guys we got to figure shit out we you know the the more neurotic one um or is that phyllis 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 that's it yeah it is phyllis thank you um and so there's a lot pre- you're represented here, you know, uh, e- even in Miss Mac, you know, it's like, you know, oh, OK, I guess mom's drinking again. You know, <laughs> uh, there's there is family here um, and maybe there's commentary on like what Christmas has become. You know, right. um, we've talked about this before. I'm not a religious person. Uh, the religious aspect of Christmas means nothing to me. Um, but I grew up hearing about like the commercialization of Christmas and how, you know, the, the reason for the season had been lost and, you know, uh, all, all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and if, if that's what you believe in, you know, fine, you know, that's, that's great. Um, but there's, I, I think even moving away from that religious aspect of Christmas, the idea that this is a holiday where like it's it's a time to spend with your family, you know, where you sit around the Yule log and you drink hot cocoa and you just spend time with each other. You know, it's right. a time to, to, to go and visit grandma and spend time with grandma. When's the last time we sat down and had dinner with grandma? I don't know. Uh, you know, she usually Probably ends up ta- ta- taking her clothes off and dancing around. naked, <laughs> And it's fine because it's grandma. Right. So um, that's kind of been lost. And, and the 70s is around that time when that was happening. Right. Because when you think of um, like other movies that were released in the mid to late 70s, there's a lot of commentary on consumerism and materialism. And, and that that's definitely some, some of that like blowback of the hippie movement where it's like, right. you know, maybe we did take it a step too far, but also you suck, you know. <laughs> um, so maybe this is commentary on that where it's like we're killing each other here to have like christmas when really all we need to do is just you know care for your 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 fellow neighbor 
just just be here and hang out yeah yeah I, this is this is you know undeniably a, a christmas movie for for all of those reasons i mean the a majority of the soundtrack of this movie is christmas carols mm-hmm. playing in the background uh you know there's definitely no argument here for this is just a movie that takes place at christmas yeah, uh, there there's there's a lot of great things here. You're talking you were talking about the idea that when people are leaving, you know, that's a reason, you know, Miss Mac gets killed. But she had just said, oh, I got to meet my sister for Christmas. I might not yeah. be here when you get home. So it wasn't a big deal when she wasn't there. The idea that it's Christmas sets up so many things that happen in this movie. It, it, it just it makes it work. You know, the 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 girl being distracted by the carolers, which we can, you know, kind of only assume might be when uh, Billy snuck out and killed the cop in his car. Right. Yes. You know, just the there there are so many directly Christmas things uh, that are happening here. And I think that Billy taught us one of the most important lessons about Christmas in this movie when it comes to Miss Mac. And that is that anything's a Christmas ornament if you put a hook in it. I mean, she he just. Strings her up, pops her on there, and she's just hanging there, hanging out for Christmas. And yeah. and that was that was the last we heard of her, right? I mean, there's it, it's it, there's there there's a lot to kind of break down with it, and and I think that you did it beautifully. Like I don't have a ton to add there because that was kind of the feeling I got was. You've got Barb, who's not excited to go home and see her family. You've got a couple of these girls who don't seem like they are going home to their family. They don't, you know, maybe they don't have family to go home to. Maybe it's just far, you know, all sorts of reasons that could be there. But in the beginning of this movie, it really is established that these girls are a family. And that comes across in how genuine and loving that moment is when they give Miss Mac the, the frock. And they they simultaneously are proud of themselves for giving her this gift while also understanding how hilariously bad it is. Because I think that that's something that we've all done, either with, you know, your actual family, you buy your mom or dad something that you're like, they're going to hate this, but they're going to hate it so much that everyone's going to get a good laugh. Out of it. <laughs> right. Right. You know, or or maybe maybe you're that person who, uh, you know, without attaching your name put a dildo in the secret Santa. And it's just for that moment when you're going to be sitting there surrounded by a bunch of teachers and they open it and you've got to catch the horror on everybody's faces. Also a delightful Christmas prank for anybody who may have a chance to play secret Santa. What I'm saying is there's a lot of really good traditions here. There's, you know, back when we did season of the witch, uh, Peter had a really good point, which is how many of these Halloween movies do we do you guys watch and do you talk about where the the central idea is Halloween? Mm-hmm. And I think that this and last year we did Krampus really take the fact that it's not just a it's not even just a horror movie that takes place at Christmas. It's a movie that takes place because of Christmas, right. because these things are allowed to happen. And I think that that cements it as as a, as a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Uh, to, to me, um, and you, you mentioned it earlier, this was the first part of a, of a Christmas double feature for you with a Christmas story. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to me, this is very much a Christmas movie. Um, I typically don't watch this movie outside of the Christmas season right. um, because to me, this is standard Christmas fare. 
Um, you know, there's certain Christmas movies that we watch together as a family. Um, I always put on uh, Christmas Vacation. That is my favorite Christmas movie. Um, I uh, it, we watch Home Alone together. Um, Dude, I watch I watched Jingle All the Way yesterday. Jingle All the Way is <sighs> my son's favorite. Uh, so he, so he and I much. watch it together all the time. He's got a Turbo Man. I've got a Turbo Man. I've got an original <laughs> one from like '96 or whatever. Uh, he's back here somewhere. Um, I don't. I don't think you can see. It. Actually, wait. Let's see. Maybe you can see the Turbo. Uh-oh. Man there. Gonna, yeah. Where's Where's Turbo Man? Tour? Where see. are you, let's, Turbo let's, Man? Let's go on a little tour. There he is. Oh, I see him back Turbo there. Man. Yeah. yeah, there he is. Yeah. So, um, I I love Christmas movies, and 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 to me. This is just as Christmas as Jingle All the Way. This is just as Christmas as, uh, fuck it, I'm going to say it. It's just as Christmas as It's a Wonderful Life or White Christmas. I love the fact that it's called Black Christmas because it does make you think of, you know, some of these classics like White Christmas. Yes. And, 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 and to me, that's part of what makes it special. Yeah, I love it, man. It, it, yeah. it, it is definitely going to be part of my Christmas rotation now. Um. That makes me happy. It uh, <laughs> it warms the cockles of my heart. There we go. Yeah, uh, in a way that only a burning Yule log would. Ah, nice. Or yeah. maybe 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 some eggnog with a little bit of Crown Royal in it. That, oh, that, warm, yeah, that yeah, warms yeah. me. Do, up. do you put cinnamon in your eggnog? Um, yeah. I, I mean, if nothing else, for the aesthetic of having it on top, I'll right, toss right, a little right. bit on there. I, yeah. But, uh, I don't. You know, as long as it's eggnog and whiskey, I'm good. Uh, you know, we um. Latinos have uh, something that we call coquito, uh, and it is—it's kind of like an eggnog. Uh, it's think of it as eggnog, uh, but with rum. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, quite good. Quite good. I can see that being good. Yeah. Um, we got to get together, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, okay. Anyway. This leaves us with really only one thing left to do, which is to rate the fucking movie, right? Um, and so um, we have decided to go with a possible five gold-plated whore mommies. <laughs> so, so, good. so good. So, Daniel, out of a possible five gold-plated whore mommies, how many gold-plated whore mommies do you give this? Man, so... As I watched this and didn't know where it was going, that rating just kept growing. And and it's it was it's interesting because I usually sit here and say, ah, I've been this I've this been banging around in my head for 24 hours. But as soon as the movie ended and I'm just sitting there watching the credits roll and the Christmas carols play and and and, and you know, just this live action shot of the house that's by the way, basically the exact same shot that we opened the movie with and, yep. and everything comes full circle. I knew immediately that this was going to be five of whatever we rated it. So, I mean, mm -hmm. this is five plated, five gold plated horror mommies, man. This movie is a trailblazer. This movie is scary. This movie is fun. It has memorable and interesting characters it has some great actors and actresses portraying those characters. I, honest to God, cannot think of a flaw in this movie. It was so good. 
from beginning to end. From I, I even love just that stocky block letter Black Christmas that they just yeah. throw up there at the beginning. It felt right. From beginning to end, there was never a moment that took me out of this movie. There was never a moment that I felt like it didn't fit. Everything was so good. I immediately knew when it was over, it was going to be five. And and it absolutely is. It is such a fantastic uh, Christmas movie, horror movie, just all of it. It's so, so good. It's just a good movie. Yeah. You know, uh, this is... there are some movies that I think transcend the genre that they're in. Um, we, Daniel and I were talking about um, the British Film Institute's top 100 movies right. uh, that they came out with for this year. Um, and there were a couple movies that, that you know, were, were being spoken about. Casablanca. Is, is is one of those that you mentioned and Casablanca is definitely a romantic drama that's yeah. what it is but I feel like it transcends romantic drama it's also a, a war movie it's also a thriller um it's also noir um it's got a lot going on and it it it, it is all those things and it's none of those things it is just movie. Right. Uh, the Princess Bride is another one of those where, like, yeah, it's fantasy, yeah, it's romance, but it's more than that. Yeah, it's much more than that. And I think that Black Christmas is one of those movies where, yes, it's a Christmas movie and yes, it's a horror movie, but it's more than just that. It is just a really good movie. This is a movie that I would recommend to anyone, yep. absolutely anyone. And watching it again, I was unsure if. Lincoln could watch it um, because he likes to watch these movies with me and um, we weren't going to have time to watch it together before. Uh, But I found time here and there. And um, I do think that maybe he can watch it. You know, some, some of those, those phone calls are are a little extreme. um, And and I don't want to have some of those conversations. Right. Um, But like, I, I know he would love it. Right. And and if if my eight year old could love it, um, number one, that says something about my parenting style. And I'm really sorry for <laughs> for for the amount of money he's going to have to pay. You know, in yeah, he'll tell his therapist about now. it yeah. someday. Yeah. Um, you know, but I feel like my grandmother would also really like this movie. Right. You know, so you know, if you go from eight to eighty, and there's something for everyone there, like that's just a really good fucking movie. Not Christmas. Not horror. You don't have to qualify it. It's just a good fucking movie. And um, that's what this is for me. I mean, it, it, it's a five. I I saw this after I had seen a lot of other slasher movies. Uh, I was a slasher fan basically from the time I was old enough to watch movies. And um, this is up there with the best of them. Um, you know, there's very few slashers that I don't like. Um, you know, they're really bad, <laughs> yeah. but like even the bad ones, there's something to enjoy in them. Um, but like I put this on like that upper tier, that upper echelon of the Prowler. Uh, I put it with my bloody Valentine. Um, there's there's very few that I think move past that kind of like really high tier, but not the highest tier. Like this is top shelf. Right. This is top shelf. This is not. Johnny Walker 
all right, we're we're this isn't black label. This right. is the blue label. This is blue label. Yeah. This is blue label. Yeah, which I do think is overrated. I've <laughs> um, only yeah. had it once. I mean, it was really good. It's good. But I've it's, had better it's, stuff that's not it's as It's smooth, but that's my point. For yeah. a $300 bottle, you can do an awful lot more. Yeah. Um, and we'll end it on that. You know, so thank you for tuning into Shiver, a whiskey podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, if you enjoyed this uh, please go back and listen to some of our other ones, or you can check out some of our sister podcasts. There's a, a slew of podcasts, basically whatever you're into, there's something for you, uh, at the geek bro network. Um, there's, uh, all of our stuff, you know, yeah. on our socials, you want to talk about that? Danny? Yeah. So, uh, if you, if you like us and you're not following us on all the socials, you can head to shiverpod.com or you can find links to all of those things or to simplify it even further. We are at shiverpod at on everything. Now, even mm-hmm. YouTube, which allows handles. We are at shiverpod everywhere. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, um, Twitter, I don't use as much. It's just there's there's so much noise on Twitter. It's really hard to cut through. But we yeah. do our show does go out live on Twitter. So if you're a Twitter user and you want to watch live, we do go live on our Twitter. So make sure you follow us at ShiverPod on all of those social medias. Absolutely. Um, next week, do we want to announce what it is already or no? Next week we are going to go kind of polar opposite of. Yeah. Plat- you know, genre defining, and we're going to go genre bending as we come to you next week with Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. It's I've been wanting Christmas. to watch this one. It's part Christmas. It's part zombie. It's part musical. There's a little bit of everything in Anna and the Apocalypse. We're going to have some fun. Ish is supposed to be back with us next week. So we are definitely going to go the other way with it next week with Anna and the Apocalypse. So if you've enjoyed Make sure you tune in. I'm really looking forward to that one. Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fight you very much.